This is Illinois in Focus, the production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the governor's proposed budget, the latest on litigation against Illinois' gun and magazine ban, and the ongoing criminal case involving utilities and former House Speaker Michael Madigan. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about those stories and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. Listen to all our podcasts at americastalking.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, I'm Donna Jeske. And I'm Paul Jeske. We're family farmers raising corn and soybeans in Grundy County, Illinois. It might be hard to believe, but 96% of the farms in Illinois are owned and operated by family farmers just like us. Our job is to grow the healthiest, most affordable food around to feed our family and yours. Meet more farmers like us at www.watchusgrow.org corn. A message from the Illinois Corn Marketing Board. This is Illinois in Focus, the production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Governor J.B. Pritzker is focusing on early education in his budget proposal. Kevin Bessler has details. Pritzker gave a state of the state and budget address Wednesday and asked for $250 million for early education, including a $75 million block grant that he says will create 5,000 preschool spots for children in Illinois. Smart Start Pre-K is a four-year plan that will allow us to give access to preschool to every three and four-year-old in Illinois. Pritzker also wants to spend $100 million on MAP grants, which he says in the end will boost the state's economy. We can make history. Together with Pell Grants, virtually everyone at or below median income in Illinois can go to community college tuition-free. The education funding is part of a $49.6 billion spending proposal, an increase of over $3 billion from last year. I'm Kevin Bessler. Meanwhile, the governor's calling out what he calls carnival barkers, while critics say his plan for the state is a woke wish list. The governor proposed a new spending plan of nearly $50 billion, including increased funding for public education and other programs. Yet it's all meaningless if we become a nation that bans books from school libraries about racism suffered by Roberto Clemente and Hank Aaron and tells kids that they can't talk about being gay. Immediately following the speech, Republican State Representative Adam Niemerg criticized the governor's priorities with more than $2.7 billion in proposed new spending and said more focus needs to be on growing the state's economy. It's a woke wish list uh, is really what we're dealing with here. And, uh, you know, the governor had the audacity again to call us carnival barkers, but he's running the carnival and he's driving the carnival off the uh, leftist cliff. Meanwhile, the governor offering that budget proposal in the coming fiscal year includes investments in education. And it's getting mixed reviews. Andrew Hensel has more. The governor's budget proposal includes an 11% increase compared to last year's plan for preschool and K-12 education funding. State Senator Terry Bryant says the governor is spending his way into a tax increase for Illinois. We cannot spend all the money that he is proposing because in essence, what it's going to do is force another tax increase. I would say the governor did not get the progressive income tax increase that he wanted, so now his plan is to make sure that he spends us into a tax increase. State Senator L.G. Sims said Pritzker is taking the right approach when investing in the state's youth. So proud of the proposal the governor laid out. We can't just only address the, the end cause of crime, which is which is the crime itself. We've got to address the root causes. Uh, so you see investments in, in early childhood. You see investments in education. Pritzker's proposal spends nearly $50 billion in state funds. I'm Andrew Hensel. 
And with the threat of a possible recession on the horizon, some are worried that the governor's proposed budget is trending toward future tax hikes. Kevin Bessler has more. The $49.6 billion budget is an increase of nearly $3 billion from last year. The governor says his budget includes less spending this year. I've been very conservative about revenue estimates. And so going into the next year, we're actually proposing less revenue and lower spending overall than we had in FY23. House Minority Leader Tony McCombie says the numbers don't add up. Here we are at $2.7 billion in new spending and revenues down $1.4 two billion and those are his numbers that he provided you know where are we going to get this additional funding it's certainly not sustainable for new programs Pritzker's budget proposal includes a nearly billion dollar boost for education that includes allotting 250 million dollars toward early childhood education with increased pay for child care workers and added preschool slots I'm Kevin Bessler. Three federal lawsuits against Illinois' gun ban saw movement Monday as a federal judge ordered a response from the state to show each and every item banned. In the Southern District of Illinois, four cases are pending. One's from the Federal Firearms Licensees of Illinois. Plaintiffs in that case filed a motion for a preliminary injunction last week. In other cases, federal judge Stephen McGlynn ordered state defendants to provide illustrative examples of each and every item banned under state law. Thomas Mag, who brought the state-level case that was transferred to federal court, said the judge's order will make it difficult for the state to comply. Uh, Because the ban is so all-encompassing and uses a great many vague terms that I'm not even sure that uh, exactly what is banned, but then that's probably why Judge McGlynn ordered the state to do that uh, so that we can uh, find out exactly what we're arguing about. The plaintiffs in my case remain uh, extremely confident uh, and uh, that we're going to succeed on the merits of this case. This statute never should have been passed in the first place. And applying the Bruin analysis, we believe that uh, the days of Illinois' magazine and firearms ban are numbered and the number is not very large. Meanwhile, the state's motion to delay responding to a different federal lawsuit against the gun ban has been denied by that federal judge. There are four cases pending, and the state's already been ordered to show each and every item banned in three of those lawsuits. In a separate federal case challenging the ban on guns and parts, Todd Vandermeid read out the judge's order issued Thursday denying the state's motion to delay a response. The order notes that the Illinois Attorney General is already required to respond in three other cases. Although these cases have not been consolidated, the court wishes to keep them on a similar timetable. So there is no hardship by denying this extension. As such, defendants shall respond to 28 first motion for preliminary injunction on or before March 2nd. Nearly five weeks into the ban, Vandermeide said the hardship is being felt by many. The gun shops and the, the citizens of Illinois that are suffering the most because they can't acquire stuff, the shops can't sell stuff. You know, I think that it's the gun shops and the Illinois residents that are being harmed the most at this juncture. The judge said in his order Thursday, the four cases have not been consolidated, but he wants to maintain a similar schedule. The state has until February 28th to respond to MAG's case. In the case brought by the Illinois State Rifle Association, the state has until March 1st to respond, and March 2nd to respond in the case brought by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And when the myriad cases against Illinois' gun ban are resolved remains unclear, but... 
What is certain is taxpayers are footing the bill. Illinois' gun ban has been in effect since January 10th. Since then, a fourth temporary restraining order was issued Friday, the second one for Effingham County. While the state hasn't put out much of a defense in such state-level cases, since the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the first Effingham County temporary restraining order, there's still staff with Illinois Attorney General's office funded with tax dollars putting hours of work in. In the federal cases, Illinois State Rifle Association Executive Director Richard Pearson said taxpayers are in a tough spot and it's aggravating. They're defending uh, the suit with our money and we're suing them with our money. So they don't have anything to lose, but of course we do. So we have to keep pressing forward uh, just on the financial end of it. And an efforts underway to combine four state-level challenges to Illinois' gun and magazine ban. Earlier in the week, Attorney Thomas DeVore filed with the Illinois Supreme Court the motion to consolidate his three cases from Effingham and White Counties into the case from Macon County. When you bring them into one case, then you only have to do discovery one time. Other depositions that we might do of the speaker or the president would be identical. So there's an efficiency there. All cases have temporary restraining orders in place, but only for named plaintiffs. DeVore said even if consolidation happens, which he says is likely, the statewide injunction against the law won't happen until the case is fully resolved. The only time there's going to be an injunction that might apply statewide is when we get to the end of the case and get in front of the Supreme Court of the state of Illinois. For several federal cases under a single judge, there could be a consolidation there, but that motion has not been filed. Those are the top stories from the past week for Illinois. Find more online at americastalking.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Freedom and liberty are important to all of us in Illinois, from Rockford to Carbondale, from Quincy to Decatur. If you're looking for civil, intellectual conversations with those shaping the future of freedom, try the Future of Freedom podcast with me, Scott Bertram. We speak with leaders across the country in the greater conservative and libertarian movements. In-depth conversations about where the next intellectual battles will happen across the country. It's the Future of Freedom podcast. Find it at americastalking.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome back to the Illinois Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment, commentary powered by the Center Square. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, president of the Franklin News Foundation. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dan McHale. He's the executive editor of the Center Square and the vice president of news for Franklin News Foundation. Dan, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, Chris. And you? Good. I'm doing really, really well. Hey, um, there's lots going on in Springfield uh, for you and I to talk about. I want to kind of jump right into it. I mean, of course, the big the big news this week is, you know, the state of the state and the budget address, a, a consolidated event that took place uh, on Wednesday. We're taping this on Thursday, February 16th uh, in the morning. Um, certainly, there'll be some stories that are going to develop out of the out of the uh, the budget itself. But why don't we why don't we jump into it and talk about what? First of all, the size of it, it's massive. I mean, we're talking about a budget that is pushing up against $50 billion here in Illinois. Um, I want to say that when J.B. Pritzker took over as governor uh, five years ago, 
the prior year's budget was like 41. Does that sound about right? Just above $41 billion. Um, So in the four years since uh, Governor Pritzker uh, took office, of course, he's entering his second term or he just entered his second term. And now he's proposing uh, just shy of $50 billion um, budget. So doing the math in my head, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because you have a better, uh, uh, you can calculate this stuff better than I am, but that's about a 17% increase since Governor Pritzker first took office four years to what he's proposing for the next fiscal year, um, uh, starting July. Yeah. 1st. I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty easy math. I mean, it's, 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 it's nearly, it's nearly 20%. Uh, you know, I mean, when you go from 41 to, to 41 to 50, you know I mean? And, and uh, like for the benefit of, of accuracy. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and that's a lot. I mean, it, um, so uh, what's in it? Uh, there's lots of new um, spending proposals, some of which, you, you know, you could argue, argue are noble if we had the money to spend and we could would continue to have the money to spend on the, these recurring expenses. But that's the problem. Uh, uh, and that's why Illinois taxes are so high and they seem to continue going up. Um, one is a, a, a pre-K uh, education uh, programs across the state, particularly um, in, in, you know, rural areas, um, where maybe lower income families and their children, their young children get left behind. He wants to spend an additional $572 million on these early learning programs. He wants to dump, um, another $219 million in higher education. This despite enrollment declines almost universally across our state university, um, uh, uh, system. The budget is uh, more than $2 billion above what we spent um, in this current or that we are spending in this current fiscal year that ends June 30th. Every year under Governor Pritzker, the budget goes up by billions. And the question is, how is that sustainable? Of course, Pritzker touts that he's gotten the state's finances under control uh, since he took office. But let's let's face it. He's been given a bunch of billions and billions of dollars in in federal COVID-19 aid, and that's what, what's been used um, to essentially um, pad, the, pad the budget, but that's money's going away. So how on earth um, are Illinois taxpayers going to be able to afford a $50 billion budget that will only go up uh, probably over the next uh, three and a half years of, of Pritzker's term? Of course, Republicans and taxpayers are worried the only way this is sustainable is through further tax increases. And as we know, Illinois residents already pay among the highest taxes in the nation. So it's concerning. Well, and I, and I think that those concerns are, are reasonable. I mean, you know, the one thing that like I think from especially now, you know, I mean, you know, with inflation on us and um, and in, in meaningful ways, I mean, like, obviously, you know, the cost of eggs, it's something pretty much everybody buys. Yes, they did come down in the last week. And and it, it's it's interesting that, that there were a lot of sales on eggs for some reason. But in, you know, over the course of the last like 18 months, the price of eggs has gone up 70 cents or excuse me, 70 percent. So, I mean, and, and, and in some places around the country, but just focusing on Illinois, it's gone. It's it, it's it's gone up more. So. I, I bring that up for one reason. 
you know, if if you have an income and your income is steady, like, I mean, you know, you, you go to work, you bring home a check, the checks are the same amount every week, which I, I believe is the, the, va- the way the vast majority of Illinoisans, uh, are, you know, are, are paid. Certainly, if you're a small, mid-sized business owner, you know, you might have weeks where you have no check. You might have some weeks where you have a big check. You know, you might have some weeks where you take what you can take and you're, you know, you're keep, you keep the business running. But the vast majority of people have, you know, what amounts to be not necessarily a fixed income, but a pretty stable income. During inflation and over the past year, uh, a lot of Illinoisans have had to make a choice of either borrow uh, from their 401ks or out of their savings uh, or both uh, to maintain a standard of living that was a sustainable standard of living, right? Um, not living extravagantly, but you know, pr- bringing in to their home the things that they needed for their family, things to eat, clothes to wear, shoes on their feet, coats, things like that. Yeah, the I'm state of Illinois, and, and right, and, and, and the state of Illinois, school. the state of Illinois uh, um, just does not um, does not operate, you know, the way that 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 I think that the taxpayer might think they would, could, or should, because they just keep growing. You know, it's it's not like you know when we're being asked to like tighten our belts, they're going out and buying new belts because they've gone from a size 48 waist to a size, actually, let's just make it for real. They've gone from a size 41 waist to a size 50 waist. So the state budget is getting fatter and it's it, there's no belt tightening there. We never hear about cuts during these budget uh, unveilings. All we hear about is the great programs and then we never hear about who's going to pay for these things. But the reality of it is we're, we're, we're all being asked to pay for them in just, in just in different ways. It's, and, and as you said, it's, it's kind of unsustainable because it's like, where does it end? Uh, well, in Illinois, it doesn't seem to ever end. Um, of, with, with President Biden has said uh, in, in weeks past that the wages of, have outpaced Um, 40-year high inflation during his administration, but at the center square, where, of course, we cover Illinois um, exhaustively, we also cover all 50 states, and out of our uh, Washington, D.C. Bureau, we cover the federal government. We fact-checked President Biden on that, and that's just simply not true. Wages have not kept up um, with inflation. And then you've got a majority of economists around the country also saying we're heading into a recession um, this year. Recession generally means um, lost jobs, higher unemployment, fewer people p- paying income um, taxes. So um, this windfall in federal money the state got during COVID-19, not only is that money going away, there's the potential for this recession where people are going to lose their jobs, not pay income taxes, have less money to, to spend on groceries and other uh, things. That means fewer sales tax dollars. So th- this budget is really putting taxpayers in a bind in the state of Illinois, in my opinion, um, because who knows what this recession is going to bring and and what it's going to mean to state finances. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, and, and one of the other things that was in there, of course, is like we established a rainy day fund, which is, which is a good thing. And, you know, in, in states that have surpluses, you know, having a rainy day fund that that's available for you know, things that might happen, the you know, disasters or, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if COVID would have been a, like a handled as a man, as a, as a, as a manageable event, and we'll, we'll, you and I will 
we'll have to talk more about that, you know, over time. Of course, this, you know, story that Casey Harper um, published uh, today from D.C. about uh, Anthony Fauci and what he had to say about the effectiveness of uh, of uh, covid therapies um, is, is worth is worth unpacking. But you know, we're trumpeting the fact that we have a two point three billion dollar rainy day fund. But I mean, let's do the math on that. I mean, if it's a fifty billion dollar budget and, and you have a two point three billion dollar rainy day fund. Congratulations. You have a two week surplus. To operate yeah. all of this, this, you know, this circus that we've built in Springfield, uh, you know, that, that that wants to fund everything doesn't examine at a line item level things that it could cut. We just keep adding on to this thing. And it's it's kind of like, you know, um, that film that Mike Judge made years ago, that idiocracy, you know, where the, the buildings just start to topple over. I mean, it's just, this is, it just feels rudderless. Well, and it, and, and it has been for a, a, a very long time. Um, I, I don't think the current General Assembly or past General Assemblies for that matter, or Governor Pritzker are forward thinking. They want to, you know, they've got all these brilliant ideas to improve the lives of certain segments of the population. Um without keeping in mind the bigger picture of what it means um, for taxpayers. Of course, we've reported exhaustively on the loss of population in Illinois. Every year for nine consecutive years, the state has lost population to out-migration, meaning people are moving out of Illinois. So that, of course, means fewer taxpayers left to pick up the burden of government expenses. And there's no reason to believe that that trend's not going to continue. And one of the main reasons people cite when they move out of Illinois, well, two reasons. High taxes. Cannot afford to pay Illinois' high taxes. The second has to do with corruption and the inefficiency of state and local governments um, across the state. Um, Of course, you know, we're going to talk about the Madigan corruption um, investigation a little bit later um, today, um, but we've had so many state elected officials indicted and charged and convicted, and local elected officials uh, <laughs> indicted, charged, and convicted of corruption-related crimes. The two go hand in hand. <clears throat> the the high spending, the high taxes, the corruption. Um, uh, it, it, there's no. There, I don't blame. Illinois taxpayers for completely losing faith in their government officials. So, Dan, you know, we um, wanted to add this in and so we're just sort of talking about, you know, things uh, related to uh, related to Springfield. And, and in the in the in this budget itself, I mean, there's there's really there's I don't believe that there's a change that we're still inside of this budget every for every dollar that we send to Springfield. About twenty five cents of that goes to uh, tackle pension obligations. Um, yes. What's new on the on the on the on the pension front? Well, uh, uh, interestingly, at, at least you, we could say lawmakers in Springfield have ignored the pension crisis in Illinois for years. Don't even it's like an afterthought. Don't even bring it up. As you mentioned, twenty five percent of every dollar that goes to Springfield goes to pay. Uh, off to pay for pensions of retired uh, folks who aren't providing any services anymore uh, to Illinois residents. So that's 
25% of the budget that is not going to operating expenses in the state to provide services to the current, to current residents and taxpayers. It's going to pay past obligations, uh, services that we're no longer getting, um, um, from these folks. At least for the first time in years, uh, last week they held, uh, lawmakers, a, a, a House committee held its first hearing on pension debt. They're having a second hearing later today, which you'll be able to read about at the centersquare.com, um, uh, late this, later this afternoon. But at least they're holding hearings on the pension crisis. But the thing is, they're not proposing any solutions to it. They're just, you know, asking, um, well, how bad is it now? They're not saying, okay, what do we need to do to right set our pension debts? Illinois is among the worst funded pension systems. There are five state pension systems for, for teachers, uh, for uh, K through 12 teachers, for um, uh, university uh, workers, for general state employees, for lawmakers themselves, and for the judges, the teachers and the university workers and the state general state employees are by far the worst um, funded or the most funded in terms of dollars, more than $200 billion underfunded. And if we can't figure that out, um, we're not going to be able to figure out uh, our budget overall. But at least, they're, at least they're talking about it. I don't see any solutions, though, being pitched by the Democratic majority in the, in the legislature. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I don't it's it's look, here's the thing. It's not a problem for them. It's a it's a problem for the people who live in the state of Illinois. And, and depending on where you live, it's a problem to vary to a varying degree. But, yeah. you know, I mean, we all have, you know, if you own a home, whether you escrow for taxes or you or you pay your own taxes, we all get the we all get the summaries. We, I mean, we all you know, we all get the bills, you know, that 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 articulate sort of you know, what's on there. I mean, I have mine on my desk for this year. Mine, I think has, I'm going to count this real quick. I think mine has like 17 different taxing districts on it. Unreal. Yeah. And then when you, and then when you take a look at it, I mean, and really examine it, you know, it's like how many of these lines were the service. So what we're paying for, you know, our contribution to the operation of the business. And then what we're paying for, on the pension side of that entity where there actually are some lines where the pension obligation is greater than the actual service. This is not a run at public service, you know, uh, employees, public, you know, I mean, people who work in the public sector, we, we value what you do, you know, especially police, fire teachers, but my God, you have to look at this and consider like, how can this, how can this be that we're spending more to retire you or for you in retirement, then we're paying for the service that is the good back to the community. And that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm now in my almost 20th year of covering local and state government in Illinois. This goes back to our uh, newspaper days, uh, Chris. And 20 years ago when I uh, entered Illinois, and started covering state government and local government in Illinois. Guess what? Pensions were a crisis. We're twenty years. We're twenty years later, and nothing's been done. They 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 put some surface legislation in place, but it's done nothing to lower the pension debt 
on the backs of Illinois taxpayers. No, it's it's got it's it, it, and obviously it's it's gotten it's gotten worse. But part of that's the size of the government. So if there's no if there's no reduction in force in this budget, and and we you know there's no cuts, there's no consideration. I mean. Uh, that's where it really gets insulting because we're just adding, adding, adding. And, and that go back to that, that reference I made to idiocracy, that, that Mike Judge film. It's just, just it, it makes me a little bit bananas. Hey, let's move over and talk about guns if we can, because we haven't done that for an entire week, you and me. Um, uh, am I an outlaw yet uh, or uh, am I not an outlaw yet? Well, you're not a plaintiff in any of the lawsuits, so um, and not knowing what kind of guns you own, you very well could be an outlaw. I hate to say it, but um, um, but in the last week, so we've had a you know, of course, the uh, the gun ban on more than 170 um, uh, semi-automatic rifles and pistols, and you know, magazines of certain capacities have been banned in the state. Um, and uh, lawsuits, it, probably close to a dozen lawsuits have been filed about it. Well, in this past week, a fourth district court, a state district court in Illinois, has issued a temporary restraining order against enforcement of the ban, saying it's unconstitutional. Um, uh, the attorney uh, who, who's filed several of these suits, Thomas DeVore, is looking to consolidate Three of his lawsuits where he's already won TROs. Thomas DeBoer, of course, is the former GOP uh, attorney general candidate who has been a thorn um, in the Pritzker administration side since the beginning of COVID-19 when he started uh, challenging all these mandates. You, you mentioned a few minutes ago the Dr. Fauci story. Maybe we'll save that one uh, for next week. Um, how, how the, for example, the vaccines aren't, weren't, they knew they weren't near as, as effective as they were selling to the American people. Um, anyway, Thomas DeVore wants to consolidate his lawsuits into a single um, state lawsuit. You still have pending federal lawsuits where have, there have been no rulings. Um, um, Yet, um, but so far, every court that's weighed in on the measure has said it's unconstitutional. So there's still work to be done. This will ultimately, in Illinois, be decided by the Illinois Supreme Court. But then there's all these separate federal lawsuits that are still pending um, that I, I don't see how they can rule any differently. Um, but but you know we'll, we'll see that this is the court system can obviously uh, can um, obviously be slow. Um, uh, to get through the process, um, but there have been some expedited hearings, um, so we'll see. Well, and I, I appreciate that update. I mean, this is this is now feels like it's somewhat slow moving um, because it is. You know, I mean, it's this has now been sort of uh, um, well, it's been a matter for the court from from the instant that this that this was passed. Uh, during lame duck prior to the beginning of, of of this legislative session, so in January, we're about a month. I guess we're about a month into, into this, and it doesn't yeah. seem like it's sitting. It, you know that it's it, that it, for some it doesn't seem like it's moving fast enough. Uh, but I, I guess it's 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 about it's about process. And the the one thing that you and I had talked about earlier, you know, um, uh, before the uh, we started taping the show, was just you know like. This is not unique to the United States. This conversation is not unique to the United States. And in other states where these kinds of measures have been introduced, um, they have not they've not stood up. 
to, to the legal challenges that the second second amendment has prevailed. Um, nonetheless, I mean, you know, the state of Illinois, you know, in, in this the Democrat supermajority uh, in the state legislature and, and the, uh, the governor Pritzker, uh, they, they don't care. Uh, they're, they're, you know, that, that, that this bill that's been passed, which I don't think it's going to, I mean, I, I don't understand how it could win. Right. Um, right. So we're going to waste we're going to waste time, effort and energy around this uh, as a state. It's going to be expensive. And I think they're going to lose. Yeah. And and yeah, re- remember, there is a taxpayer cost to this. Every single court, every single court case that's out there, the attorney general's office has to the attorney general's office is siding with the General Assembly and the governor. Um, saying the law is constitutional. Every single court hearing, there's prep work. Um, of course, you have to attend the court hearings, and these court hearings are in counties around the state. Um, um, you have to file motions. Uh, then there's appeals. You have to file appeals because they lost, they've lost all four state district court hearings. Um, and then it ultimately, it'll go to the Illinois Supreme Court. Federally, it might, you know, unless federal courts in other states, which you've mentioned, there's pending federal cases in New York and Maryland and California where lower courts have also ruled against these gun bans. Um, um, uh, so, you know, depending on what there, there's so much time and money spent defending Illinois law. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's going to be a burden on taxpayers, another burden on taxpayers. Um, but. You know, it is what it is. I, I'm no lawyer. I don't see how uh, Illinois' gun ban upholds co- constitutional muster um, since four courts have already said it doesn't. Um, and remember, this is, um, you know, Illinois, where you have probably, you know, more uh, left judges than right judges, um, although the counties where these these um, did have are more conservative areas of the state. Um, but it's 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 a time and a tax suck. And the other thing you have to remember, it's not just gun rights owners that are affected or gun 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 owners, Second Amendment uh, f- supporters who are affected by this. There are small businesses that are getting hammered by this, too. Um, gun stores across the state have had to take these banned weapons, these banned car- cartridges off of their shelves, put them into a locked storage space. And they're unable to conduct business when it comes to selling those kinds of things. Small businesses who employ uh, the uh, the majority of people in Illinois are being impacted heavily by this ongoing gun ban and the litigation involved with it. Yeah, no, and that's 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 a good that's a good point. I mean, there are ramif- you know, uh, laws have consequences, and not all the consequences are uh, you know are, are are visible to everyone. So. I, I think that's I think that's an that's an important part of this. I mean, the, the the people that are trapped in the middle of this, the you know the the SMBs, the you know the men and women that own gun stores, you know, I think are are really vexed right now. You know, uh, one of the stores that that I frequent that that's here in McHenry County, right before the gun ban, you know, uh, legislation was passed, they had a a blowout sale on magazines that were non-conforming. I mean, an absolute yeah. blowout sale. And so they probably sold these things at or below cost, you know, which hurts. Right. Um, so anyhow, hey, let's let's move on. I want to talk about Madigan and I want to talk about ComEd. Uh, we had talked about Michael McLean 
former Madigan confidant and what he was trying to, you know, sort of, you know, legally maneuver in his case uh, where he didn't want certain information to be uh, exposed to the jury. And now um, former ComEd CEO uh, Ann Primagori uh, doesn't want the jury to know how much money she was paid, uh, why she left her job, her political campaign contributions, or anything about the $200 million that ComEd paid um, in the uh, in penalty as a consequence of the federal uh, bribery probe that, that ComEd was involved in with Michael Madigan also being involved in. And um, so that would be kind of like, uh, I think, some key pieces of information that the jury <laughs> wouldn't have access to that are core to – uh, their understanding in this case. So I guess you can ask, but what's the likelihood that you're going to get if you're Ann Primigori in this case? Well, I, first, let me just say, how easy is it for a defense attorney um, uh, to successfully defend your uh, your client if you can eliminate much of uh, the, the 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 evidence against your client, which is essentially which is essentially what the former comment CEO wants to do. Um, in the, in this trial, of course, ComEd a few years ago, as part of this sweeping federal corruption probe into former longtime former House Speaker Michael Madigan, admitted its guilt, admitted that it it's it, some of its employees bribed um, uh, Speaker Madigan or those closer close to Speaker Madigan to get favorable legislation to the utility passed through the legis, legis the state legislature. Um, now, the former ComEd CEO who federal prosecutors allege, and she's been charged with bribery, she denies it. So she's not guilty until uh, proven so. Um, she has an upcoming trial. But in this in this trial, as you mentioned, um, uh, she does not want the jury to hear how much she was paid as uh ComEd CEO saying that would bias the jury because they'll have it out for, you know, higher income um, people. She would, does not want to know why she left her job. Technically, she was forced out of her job after ComEd looked into these uh, federal uh, investigations and found that, um, at least on their end, she was doing something wrong, so they had to get rid of her. She does not want to know about her political campaign contributions, um, something that we're looking into, by the way. Who did she and ComEd donate money to during the, you know, the about 10 years that this investigation was undergoing? She doesn't want the jury to hear that ComEd essentially admitted guilt and agreed to pay the federal government $200 million um, in fines um, because of their participation in this alleged um, bribery scheme. Um, and so they filed a briefing this week uh, saying that the, the court needs to exclude all of this evidence because it would be biased uh, against the defendant. Well, guess what? If you're involved in criminal wrongdoing, and I don't know that the former CEO was, um, certainly federal prosecutors allege that she was. Um, um, but if, uh, if, 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 if you're going to wipe out all the state's evidence, what's the, or all the federal government's evidence, excuse me, what's the point? Um, I don't see it happening. I don't yeah, see a judge. I'm with you. It's tricky, right? Because, I mean, because ComEd preemptively accepts you know, this, this, this massive fine and, and admits, and admits to wrongdoing, right. As part of it. Yes. 
So now, you know, there's the question of like, well, you know, who is the architect of that wrongdoing? And that's ultimately, is that not the framework of, of the, of the uh, um, uh, Department of Justice's case against uh, Ann Primagori? So, so now, yes. you know, it's, because like, again, it's always the question is like, you know, are companies people and are, are people companies? And, you know, I mean, I guess you, you can't have it both ways, can you? Um, that if, if, if the wrongdoing, you know, is occurring inside of a company and it was orchestrated or involved people who were directly requesting it or overseeing it, um, then, you know, I mean, the, the, I think it's the public's right to know. And so, and part of that public in this case would be this, you know, this jury of her peers who would have to process that information and make a determination as to whether or not she was or wasn't intimately involved in the things that, you know, that, that they, that her company has admitted they've done. Here's a money quote from the, uh, from the motion filed by uh, defense attorneys in the case, quote, allowing the jury to learn of ComEd's agreement to pay $200 million would severely prejudice defendants because jurors may conclude that ComEd thought that its officers, including its former CEO, committed a very serious crime if they paid a $200 million fine. You think? Yeah. Well, I, I love it when people say you think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's – um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it, look, it's, 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 it's not, it's not good. And if that, get, if that gets excluded, then I mean, f- for crying out loud, you know, come on now. I, I don't um, see it happen, but again, I'm not an attorney. So yeah, no, 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 no. You do play one on TV. I got one last thing for you and we didn't Uh-oh. have a chance to talk about this uh, at all, but you know, the bears closed the, they, they closed the deal on uh, Ar- on the Arlington Heights racetrack yesterday, now uh, you know um, around midday yesterday, and um, so it looks like they're going, or 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 this is the the the, the best um, misdirection that the Bears have uh, orchestrated in m- many many years. If they could do something like this on the field, they would possibly win more than three games in a season. But the, it, I mean, it looks this looks like this is going down. Um, I saw the mayor of um, of Arlington Heights last night in a television interview. Um, I think it was on WFLD uh, on on Channel Thirty Two, Fox Thirty Two in, in Chicago, uh, saying that you know that yes, there 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 are financial considerations that are on the table. So you know, I mean, any thoughts at all on the Bears to Arlington Heights at this point? Well, even the well, even though the Bears say um, that, that when they closed um, and officially bought the Arlington Park racetrack um, in Arlington Heights, uh, closed on it yesterday. Even though they uh, they did that, they say this does not definitively mean um, that a stadium is going to be constructed and the Bears will move there. But I'm not buying that. I think it's uh, I think it's inevitable. Uh, at this point, it's just a matter of what the details are. Of course, um, uh, the Bears and Arlington Heights and the state is going to be involved in whether taxpayer money is going to be uh, used to help subsidize the stadium. We're not just talking about uh, a, a stadium. We're talking about a business di- district surrounding um, the stadium. And the Bears have said um, that they will need help um, sustaining 
the business district in the in the form of tax rebates, um, property tax uh, incentives, and things like that. So I do think, in the Bears' mind, it's going to happen if they can pull the right strings with gov- local and state uh, government officials. Um, now. Uh, the, the the details matter here, particularly for taxpayers. Yeah, I agree. That's that would not be a feather in the cap of uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, would it? No, she's been fighting in her, uh, to get the Bears to stay in the city of um, Chicago. To this point, it seems like she's losing every step of the way. Um, I don't know what far-flung ideas she might have to try and reverse what looks like the trend of them moving to Arlington Heights, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, and she is not doing so hot in the in, in the in the polls. Of course, you know we've got municipal elections that are are they a month away? We're, what's what's the municipal election day? Yeah, it's uh, later later this month. It's a primary. Uh, oh, right, so, right, right, uh, right, 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 right. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, and it's likely that no, because there's so many candidates, it's likely uh, no one candidate is going to get more than 50 percent of the vote. So there will be a runoff. Um, but, yeah, Lori Lightfoot might not even make the runoff. She, she's in that two or top two or three uh, in polling uh, tier of candidates or whatever. So she'd have to finish in the top two um, to make the runoff. But I, that, I think that's in question. Yeah, I saw I saw like um, uh, the former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, Paul Vallis, was like far and away the the leader, you know, uh, thus far based on polling. And um, uh, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson was 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 in the mix there. And then Lightfoot was right. You know, she and and, uh, Brandon Johnson were kind of like, uh, you know, kind of neck and neck there. But like at 16 percent each, Vallis is like at 31 Maybe the last poll I saw. So that'll be interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Well, Dan, I appreciate it. It's always good to catch up with you. I know we kind of covered a whole bunch of different things and um, appreciate you going around the horn with me. Pleasure. Uh, same here. Stay warm. Get your uh, uh, snowplow ready because uh, northern Illinois, anyway, is going to see uh, some significant snowfall. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Stay for Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois In Focus podcast. This was the Crosstalk segment, commentary and conversation powered by the Center Square. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, both chambers of the Illinois legislature will return to begin piecing together Governor J.B. Pritzker's budget proposal and advance other legislation. The team from the Center Square will be on the ground to cover the latest there and continue to track any movements on litigation against Illinois' gun ban. This has been Illinois in Focus, the production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop.